Hello and welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. Whether you're listening to the podcast on iTunes or Spotify or watching us on YouTube, if you enjoyed the show, check out our over 200 interviews on scriptsandscribes.com uh, or youtube.com slash scriptsandscribes. And for the extended conversation with our guest, be sure to check out the after show chat on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash scriptsandscribes. Uh, but today I'm pleased to have back on the podcast an upper level TV writer producer whose credits include A Million Little Things, Famous in Love, The Night Shift, The Client List, and about a half a dozen other series. She's also the founder of Script Anatomy, which offers screenwriting classes and script consulting, and whose alumni have sold projects all over town, including the ABC, NBC, USA, Showtime, Warner Brothers, HBO, I could go on. Uh, it's great to have you back on the podcast, Tanya Bhattacharya. Thanks for coming on, Tanya. Thank you for having me. It's really exciting to be back. Yeah, it's been a long time. Um, how are you these days? We're living through interesting times. Oh, We're living through such interesting times. I'm good. Um, you know, it's funny because the first, I would say, maybe two months, I was like, oh, this is kind of nice. I'm finally home for a minute because you're always running around. You're, you're driving to this meeting, to that meeting. You're driving to work. Sometimes that commute will be maybe, you know, an hour and a half there and back at times. So right. Like, three hour or two hour commute during a day. So it's nice to have that time. And also to not be wearing real pants. <laughs> <laughs> like your fat jeans or your, or your sweatpants um, on, on Zoom. But so it's really nice and, and you know, but then there, the panic starts to set in, but I've settled back in. There's been like moments and roller coasters and those moments tend to come with the upheaval um, that was happening with the, you know, Black Lives Matter movement and the trauma that, that that was experienced by the black community and uh the state of affairs with the government which is a lot and we're like you know not very many weeks away from the new election so then you know there's something political every day and then obviously covid but we've been very much under lockdown just like being very 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 careful right uh what have you been working on these days uh last time we spoke you were on Famous in Love, I guess? Okay, so after, so I did two seasons of Famous in Love, which was a, a pure joy. Like, it was just, I miss all those people. It was a great room, great producers, directors, the actors were great, all the crew. It was just a really positive energy, and that is a tribute to Marlene King and uh, the creator of the show and just the kind of room that she puts together with, with the showrunner, um, Melissa Carter. And uh, I don't know, Marlene had worked with the same people oh my god i think in season two they were finishing pretty little liars the last season while we were doing our season two and the same crew was working on both and the set design and everything so they were like you know working around the clock but they were amazing um after that obviously i pitched a lot in between but after um that show i went on to a million little things mm -hmm. and i did a season of that and then the day after that show wrapped we got a call to um, go on a meeting that I didn't think we were going to get, which was Ginny and Georgia for Netflix. So that hasn't even dropped yet. But I worked on that for quite a bit of, I guess, 2019. Um, mm -hmm. And I went, I, we worked on that show for, I don't know, I think it was five months in the room or something. And then Ali and I, my writing partner, Ali Laventhal, and I took turns going back and forth to Toronto for like a month at a time to be on set uh, with the, um, the showrunner and creator. And so that was interesting. I hadn't shot in Toronto before. After that job, I thought, oh, I'll take a break. 
which was the end of last year. We finished in November, which is a perfect time to enjoy Thanksgiving and Christmas and all right. that. And then I was like, and you know, January slow, I'll just like roll into it and I'll, I'll, uh, see what happens and maybe I'll try to get a job during staffing season and then COVID hit. And then I was like, ah, you know, everything sort of changed, but I just finished, Ali and I just finished um, a 10 week mini room on an Apple show called right now, tentatively called salsa, which is about the origins, the beginning of salsa music in um, New York city or to be exact in Spanish Harlem in the sixties and seventies and the beginning and rise of uh, Fania record label. So it's, oh, wow. uh, yeah. And it's, it's really cool because it takes place, you know, in Spanish Harlem and all over New York city, but also Cuba and Puerto Rico. And if there's a season two, we would go to um, all over the world because they traveled everywhere. But this is about real people, which is very exciting. And I think, especially for the Latin community, which uh, you know, I'm half Mexican. My family name is Benavides and it's really cool to, to be doing stories about Johnny Pacheco and Celia Cruz and La Lupe Yoli and all these other amazing people during that time. And, and also the 60s, not so different from what we're going through now. Uh, <laughs> less peace and love, but, but a, a lot of, um, you know, tumultuous uh, change and, and um, fighting, fighting against the, the powers that be. Mm-hmm. So I really, really love that show so much. Chris Barncato was the showrunner, or is the, is the showrunner, one of the creators, along with two wonderful guys who were, are Colombian. And so they were in Colombia while we were in the room, the Zoom room, and uh, and it was a small room, and, and we broke pretty much the whole season, as, like roughly, but then we've, we've written four episodes, and we're hoping to like turn all those in soon and, and get a pickup, which I think they'd be crazy not to, because it's really a special project. And then... Right. Um, I just, we were closing a deal this week, so I can't really say what it is because it hasn't closed yet, And but uh, on, a, on a true story movie, which we're excited about, and we're about to pitch something again, and up for another job, so it's like constantly, you know, juggling what's next, but it's, it's, it's that's what's so exciting about this gig, <laughs> this job, it's like up and down, and something could always change in a, in a moment's notice. Well, it's great that uh, you're still able to work and write and develop uh, during this time. I know production is sort of hard hit, at least until, especially like you had mentioned shooting in Toronto uh, on your last project and then shooting around the world. But none of that can be done because all these borders are closed. And so it'll be interesting to see how soon sort of production and international production, I mean, domestic production will probably start up sooner, but internationally with travel and everything when that comes based on vaccines and, and COVID cases and all this stuff. That's true. Um, and it is, it's slowed down a lot and I think everything's kind of in a, a weird state, but I know some things are shooting. So a producer I know went to Vancouver and had to quarantine for two weeks. My neighbor um, went to London and had to quarantine for two weeks and she's mm. shooting a huge, you know, movie and and then my another friend who's here is shooting a few episodes on like all rise and so they have to get tested and there's all this carefulness but i think that the, the thing that makes me most nervous is is well obviously i wouldn't want to go to set and have to be tested and be worried about like how is everyone as careful as i am but more so too it, it changes story and how many scenes or how many people can be in a scene and not hiring extras or 
too many guest stars or all that, like keeping that very limited. And I know there was a show that I was formerly on that there was talk that it would be like, well, you as a couple have to do work together and you as a couple do work together, but like it's, you're pretty much doing scenes with your sort of significant other rather than too many people all around in the cast. And that, that is limiting writing and story-wise. I mean, it could bring out some really cool things too, but I personally wouldn't want to be in that position. Right, absolutely. Um, now you're obviously an upper level um, writer producer who's obviously been doing it for a long time, but a majority of our listeners uh, are sort of at the beginning stages of their careers. Um, um, although it is always interesting to hear from sort of working TV writers, some even upper mid-level writers that listen to the podcast, but majority of our, our listeners are sort of in the early stages of their careers. So I, what I wanted to do today, if, if you don't mind, is sort of uh, go back to the beginning, go back to the basics, mm-hmm. and, and especially because you have sort of unique perspective, both as a working TV writer producer, who I'm sure has gets asked to sort of mentor uh, and bring up newer writers and your staff, uh, take them under your wing, as I know a lot of mid-levels and upper levels can do, as well as having uh, 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 script anatomy in another company where you have dozens, if not hundreds of writers at that stage in their career coming through. So you sort of have a unique perspective on on newer writers, what they're going through, uh, what they bring to the table and these types of things. So what I wanted to do is sort of start at the beginning. And one question that gets asked a lot, I'm sure of, of you and of, of me, is how does a writer, a newer writer who has zero credits to their name, get started writing for television? Obviously, they need a few TV scripts in hand, hopefully at least a few. Um, But do you recommend they have an original pilot or two, TV specs of existing series, a mix? What what do you see coming through and what do you, would you recommend to a young, newer writer out there? I mean, honestly, I recommend it. I think the standard is at least to pilot scripts. But nowadays, I say even more. I would say that a lot of the writers that come through Script Anatomy, and I've seen them build their careers, they're writing and going through so many classes and have writers groups too. And that's one of the things that I recommend a younger writer do or a newer writer do is have a writers group that you're working with meetings so that you're staying on task on deadlines and reading each other's work, helping each other, giving feedback to each other, but also you're building that community and those connections that you have. And if you guys are all cool, then you're going to help each other on your way up. And I think that's what you want. You want some sort of brotherhood or sisterhood, you know, some sort of tribe. Um, But I think content wise, as far as like what's in your portfolio, uh, I notice a lot of our writers will end up having like three, four, five pilots because they've been building up their repertoire. The, the positive thing about that, even though maybe all those things aren't going to be perfectly ready, you want two that are at least perfectly ready, is that you have other things that you're, you'll be able to hand in your reps. You'll do some rewrites on those. You'll hand that. That's a sales tool for them to get you maybe a different kind of job because maybe you're, you're, you know two of your pilots are young adult but they're similar in tone so maybe you need that young adult that's got a sci-fi element like the the 100 or you want uh something that's a little darker and this one's a little more fun and light um maybe you want to venture into the adult world and then so it's giving them the opportunity to put you up for many different types of shows but also go out and sell something 
whether they want to go out with the script hard copy or whether they want to like then have you go and write a pitch for it. If I, if in a perfect world, what I would want as a writer starting out is three awesome pilots that were ready to go and, and across the boards of the type of shows that I would want to be on. Um, one awesome short story, which has been very helpful in our career. And then uh, two pitches ready to go. Oh, I see. I would want. I mean, that's a big arsenal, but like you usually need to be building that arsenal up anyway to get to, you know, it's usually most people don't write one script and then they get in. Now, those people we hate, <laughs> they do exist, but like typically that doesn't happen, you know, or they've rewritten that script for like two years or something like that. But then what else do you have? Right. And would you recommend that these scripts be similar in medium, meaning drama versus sitcom? Because I've heard writers want to write both and I generally advise against that because it's hard to, you know, the jack of all trades, master of none kind of thing. And when you're a showrunner, you're hiring the best that you can find at that position, not somebody who can write all kinds of things per se, Mm -hmm. generally speaking. Um, So what would you recommend in terms of like genre, medium, that type of thing. You had mentioned short story, which I w- definitely want to get into as well as, as far as helping your career. But as far as the types of material that these three pilots and, and you know, other material that you recommend having. I think um, my, my big, my first thing to tell a writer is like make a list of what shows you want to be on because you want your samples to reflect that. My, mis- our mistake, I think, because Ali and I partnered up and then, our, they chose what pilot we were going to like write in NBC Writers in the Verge. And it was something that we both liked as an idea, but it really wasn't what we were thinking about in terms of brand so much. And so it got us on to like lighter things. And I, I'm a very dark person. So, and I like darker material, right? And I like lighter things too. In fact, the pitch we're going to go out with is got lighter, but it has that little bit of darkness in there. Um, so you want your material to be representative of the kinds of shows you want to be on. And you want the material to be if you're a drama writer, yes, you should be writing drama. And if you're a comedy, you should be writing comedy. The way you can do both now is there's that, that hour-long comedy and that mm. half-hour dramedy. And, but those are different than like the sort of standard network, you know, but I'm bump, um, single-cam comedies or whatever. You, you, you are, is that right? Am I saying that right? Multi-cam comedies. Multi-cam comedies. I'm like, that wasn't right. Um, you, you, you know, that's a very specific type of writing. And those, there's those kinds of people that write, or those comedy writers that write that material might not want to be doing the one-hour dramedy or the, the hour-long dramedy. But I think there are a lot of people who feel like, I'm a comedy writer, but comedy has a place of depth and darkness too. And some of my favorite shows on the air right now are things like dead to me mm-hmm. right? and um or barry or something like that yeah barry and rami season one and so mm-hmm. i think you can you can go in between both of those and and that's how you can vary your samples but if you're like going i'm writing a multi-cam and a dark drama then we don't know what your brand is and your, your reps are going to want you to choose a lane until uh, they get you established and then maybe you can go over now one of our instructors at Script Anatomy, which if you haven't met her, interviewed her, you, you would love her, April She, She's a she's a, a kind of a superstar who has, um, she started out in comedy and then she got staffed on it. Like she's got been staffed on a few drama shows. And I think probably at least in one of those instances, it was because they wanted a, a, a comedic voice, you know? Um, but I think she feels like she can do both. And I think people can, but again, you need to, you need to 
still keep it within a lane and you should probably focus on one thing before you try to do everything. Because if you only have like one drama sample and one comedy sample, you, you've already limited yourself because they're going to be like, what are you? And which one should we send out? And it's really going to only be for a certain amount of shows. Like one pilot doesn't necessarily go for everything. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that reminds me of, uh, I spoke with a, a writer, Dan O'Shannon, who has written for a lot of stuff like Modern Family and uh, the new Odd Couple TV series. Uh, he's an upper level. And I, he, he mentioned a time when he was hired to write for a show, Jericho, which I don't know if you remember that show. Yeah. Uh, it, was a, it was sort of about this, it's, it was an hour long drama about the small town after it's sort of the bomb drops kind of thing and they're isolated in the small town and there's like a conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was definitely sort of a spy thriller drama, but yeah. they brought him in because they did want, like you said, that comedic element. They wanted somebody who could yeah. make it because it was so dark. They yeah. wanted some <laughs> moments of brevity. And he, so he, they brought in a comedy writer for that purpose. Exactly. So, but that yeah. doesn't, that's not generally as someone's career track. That just happens to be, you know, once in a while, something like that comes along an opportunity. Yeah. 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 So. Um, you would mention actually uh, a short story before we get on. I definitely want to talk about fellowships for a bit, but you definitely mentioned short stories. Uh, how did a short story in your portfolio help you guys out? I'm just actually curious, genuinely. So, well, I want to sidebar just before I answer that question to say that another thing in your portfolio that you could have is a short film mm. or, a, or a short play, you know, like a one act play. It's exciting for people to read something else. And right. Sometimes a short story or a short, um, a short like one act or whatever is something that they'll read as maybe a secondary sample if they need to know that you can do this certain thing. So uh, in 2015, I think is the year that we revamped our whole portfolio because we were thinking we're, we're getting shows that are just semi-random and not really reflective of what it is we really want to do. Like, to be totally honest, even though I love YA and I loved being on Famous in Love, and it's a show that makes me smile because it's just fun, right? It's just a, a good time. I'm not a YA writer. I don't have any YA samples. <laughs> so um, I was like, well, okay. And so I'd be on, like, things that I just didn't have the sample for, but I was getting a job. We were doing a good meeting and everything, but it wasn't the material we wanted. So... In 2015, we had some time. We wrote, um, I think it was two two new pilots and two new features. And we wrote a short story. And the short story that we wrote, I, you know, we're not short story writers. We're not prosaic writers, but I'm still very proud of it as a story. And I, I would love to work on it some more at some point. It's called Freak. And it's about this woman who has hypertrichosis, which is where your body is covered from head to toe in hair. and so it's a period piece and she's in a freak show and so there's this entire emotional thing and there's all it's a lot of character work very much centered on her and her escape but her relationships and friendships in there and there's like a bit of like magical realism elements to the story and I remember the people have read it and really responded to it and really loved it and made comments about it and then the first time we were actually on Famous in Love Want, you know, and wanting to do darker material like we wanted to do. And I was so thrilled and honored when um, it was just a call for a meeting, but we couldn't take it because we were already on the show and we were like literally writing a script at that moment. And, and it was, uh, Vina Sood had called uh, our reps and wanted to meet with us on seven seconds because she loved the short story. Mm. 
Oh, wow. So, you know, and, and, um, and I think there's other people that have like, been like, oh my God, I love this story. And so they've decided to meet with us and it's, it's dark and it has, it has some real twisted stuff in it, you know, <laughs> which is perfect for me. Right. No. And I think you make a great point in showrunners when they're reading for staffing, they see there's piles and piles of scripts, you know, obviously pilots, and to get something that's different, like you said, a one act or a short story, it definitely stands out. And yeah. it's definitely, you know, a yeah. break from the norm. So that's definitely a great, great advice that I'd never even thought of. Yeah. And it gives them an opportunity, you know, the writer an opportunity and then the reader, a, a chance to see something very different. Like we sure. wanted to do period material, but we didn't have a period piece. We wanted to do more character and dark driven things. And that was the piece that we had. So, and we've always talked about since, like, should we, should we write a feature of this? Should we write a pilot of this? We never have, but you know, um, but it lives very nicely in that world. And I, I, I highly recommend that. Another thing that people do sometimes is essays, because mm. especially if you have a, a really interesting backstory, personal life where it was, you know, it could be anything. It could be, you know, your experience figuring out that you were gay or, or going through the transition, being trans. Uh, it could be about growing up with abuse or growing up in a, in a cult or whatever. It's a way to like explore that and talk about it and people will get to know you, but you're also telling a, a story in that essay. And I think those have been effective for some of our script anatomy clients. Wow. That's great. Yeah. Uh, and then you had mentioned, I know you and Allie went through Writers on the Verge, the NBC program, uh, the fellowship. What's your take on fellowships and should all writers TV that want to work in television be applying to these fellowships and, and what advantages do they bring? Okay. So I, I'm a big fan of the fellowships. I did two and mm -hmm. we almost did three. Um, we, I did Fox before Allie and I were partners or right at the start of our, our partnership. I did the Fox Intensive, which at the time wasn't called that. It's changed and grown like everything does and gets better and better. Um, I did that. Then we did Rose and the Verge together. And then we were semi-finalists for Disney. And we were going to send the next sample in and go through the whole. Oh, I think we were, I'm not sure if we were finalists. I don't think that's what it is because we, we had the phone call. But then we were not, we were on a job. We got our first job. So then it was, that was pretty much it. But um, I was a huge fan of the program, still am, because it can really launch your career. Mm -hmm. And it also grooms you a little bit. Like in each of the programs, they'll do things like uh, somebody will come in and help you with building your brand or improvisation, or you'll do speed dating with execs so that you can get used to that. Because that can be really nerve-wracking at first. Like now it's like nothing. Like I don't even get nervous really pitching that much anymore. But I remember first time I was like, I, you know, I would get nervous for a lot of times. I don't have a bad stomach <laughs> every time I would <laughs> But now I don't anymore because I'm you know, jaded and dead inside. But no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm putting all the eggs in that one basket. But uh, I think the benefits of a fellowship is that, the grooming aspect, the learning all these different things, but also somebody's vetted you in the industry and said, hey, this person's really good. So the issue with, like, with, well, okay. The, the great thing about it is if you get in, it's going to help you and it'll help like for us, it helped us get our first manager, our first agent, our first job. The disadvantage is that there's only eight slots. So you can be a very talented, wonderful writer and not get in and it's going to be defeating and devastating and it's going to be depressing. But at the same time, you can't hold everything up to that because only eight people get in and it, it, it's, 
it could have been the day that people were reading the scripts or that, you know, it's, it's all subjective. You have different readers reading. They might not like your script. Somebody else might have thought it was brilliant or it could have been super duper close, but then they looked at the essays, which are also a part of the sample and people forget that. And that's why we do a bio essay fellowship every single year um, workshop because we want people to make sure that every piece of material is representing them and their writing and their brand and their writing. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't think there's any disadvantages because it's so hard and difficult to break in that any help you can get is great. I think it's, even though they don't always say this, a lot of the programs are very much about shepherding, and nurturing new voices into the industry. And so that really means person of color, you know, BIPOC or um, trans, lesbian, whatever. It means right. all these things. Uh, so sometimes, sometimes women, um, sometimes older people, but then again, Warner Brothers does take white people and some of the other ones do take white writers. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's typically what those programs were for was because even though there is a big push now for diversity, we are still very marginalized and very underrepresented as a whole in the industry. And if anybody wants to know about that, they can call the guild for those percentages. <laughs> right, right. They're, yeah, they're low. Yeah, they're low. They're low. Yeah, yeah. Um, you would, when you had gotten into these programs, did you have experience? Because I know some writers that get into these fellowships, they were assistants on shows or that they, they had more experience than some college graduate who lives in Kansas City. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, what, what sort of background did you have before you had gotten into, or right around when you got into the, the program? Yeah. The, the I mean, my... My background, I think that, and I remember that being noted, was that I, I had taught features. I'd been teaching features. I think I'd taught features for five years. So I came from that background. And I remember um, Karen Horn, who was at the time the, the head of the, the program at NBC, was like, oh my God, I was like, I have to be on my game with her notes because she gives notes all the time. And we laughed about that. Um, uh, well, I'm sorry. I think I just, the question just slipped my mind. No, no. Just, well, first off, you said you had taught features. What do you mean? Oh, yeah. What that? was my, oh, so I had taught features at, at um, a, another school. Oh, okay. So you were, you were a screenwriting teacher. I was a screenwriting teacher and I was writing ah. features. So that was one experience that I had. That I remember the question now. <laughs> and then the second thing was uh, I had a couple of scripts that had been optioned, but that hmm. was still an option. Sure. And then I written one feature assignment for a director. Okay. Um, and I think at that time I had done Fox. I had done the Fox program, but I wasn't a writer's assistant, but there were people in my year that had no experience like that. But then there was another who were doing very well who had, um, uh, what did they do? They had a web series that they had done, which was kind of really popular. And, you know, but I do think now more and more they do because it is so competitive. They do look to what have you done that we can see you are a trying to get yourself into this industry and not just waiting for us to like put you in and help you with your career, mm -hmm. but like you're actively pursuing it and making progress on your own. So whether that's being a writer's assistant, a script coordinator, um, a reader somewhere, shooting your own short, that, that all comes into play. I, I do think that they're impressed by that, you know, right. and then you have connections and references and people who are advocates for you. Right. Yeah, and can help you in your career, get you that first job, because a lot yeah. of the programs, it's how many, they're, what, what their alumni are doing. They're very proud of that, which obviously rightfully so, 
but yeah. those with like writers on the verge taken <laughs> literally you know those writers that just need an extra push as opposed to those starting at the bottom of the ladder kind of thing absolutely well and that goes back to the portfolio question that you asked before mm -hmm. kevin which is that uh if if they if you write a great great script and then they want to read something else that script better also be really great or right. if they say how many scripts have you written and you say one or two that's not going to be as impressive to them because they're going to feel like you're new and inexperienced right. as someone who says well i mean i've probably written i don't know five or eight features and uh one spec and one pilot and whatever whatever else you know it's they want to know that you're working on your craft right and they don't all need to be good and you don't they all need to be ready to be shown but that you've been working that this is not yeah. your first script yeah yeah it's not your first time at the rodeo and, and you actually really are ready because I think too, the, the, the pace is so fast. We did, we wrote, um, out, developed and wrote a pilot in four days what? and then wrote, well, wrote and developed a pilot outline, sorry, in four days and then wrote the pilot in four days after getting notes. And then you did the same thing for a spec. So that is such a, a speedy process that if you're really not, experienced enough like with your own writing and your own sure. craft and you're not going to be able to hit those deadlines and produce something that's that's good and you'll be behind now developing a pilot and writing a pilot or developing a pilot outline and then writing a pilot in a total combined eight days was mm -hmm. this for a professional job or in the pro in the fellowship program no, in the fellowship program oh wow okay so that's the thing too why they don't want if you've only written one or two pilots you probably don't have your process down enough to be right. like okay, i know what i'm doing i'm gonna do this really quickly right you know? So. There's no six months to sort of generate your ideas and percolate it. And I'm going to take a walk and have a coffee to kind of get my juices flowing. It's At least in Writers in the Verge, there was not. Right. I think like every program is different. I, I do believe, and, and they may change it because I think there's new people at the helm right now. But ABC used to do also write a new pilot in the program. But I think what they, I taught there for three years and what they did the last, the three years that I was there was they would, um, have you take the pilot that got you into the program and like really re like rewrite it and polish it and make it really, really ready, which is not a bad thing because sure. pilots still would oftentimes, I think all of them would need some work to one degree or another. And then they would just very much be strong samples ready to go for staffing season. Right. And that's, isn't that the, uh, the old joke? I mean, nothing would ever get shot if a writer was allowed to rewrite as much as Oh, yeah. They wanted. Yeah. Well, I have a, a story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so our showrunner on this last show that we're on, you know, there's they, they didn't really give us a deadline. <laughs> that, that idea. They didn't give us a deadline because they said, they said, well, when do you want the script? We were technically done with the 10 weeks and we still had to write our, all of us still had to write our scripts. We had three scripts to write. And uh, we, were, we wrote episode two. And, and I said, when do you want? I said, I don't know, take a week, two weeks if you need it. Take three if you need it. So I took three. Right. <laughs> I wasn't writing the script the whole time. If I was told you have four days or five days to write it, it would have been done. Mm -hmm. But it was because you just, you, you, you do, you meet the deadline you have, as we all sure. know. And also I was like, well, I got to do this. We're building a guest house. I need to like pick colors. I need to go down there. I need to talk to this person. I need to deal with that. I need to go to the doctor. All those things, you know, you just fit those things in. So mm -hmm. Deadlines or everything. <laughs> right. Well, plus a lot of times when you are doing things that aren't the writing, you find the aspects, answers to questions or things you didn't think about to add to your script. If you're just sitting there, even if you have a four-day four deadline, 
Yeah. Uh, you will get out something within those four days, but if you are given more time, you can definitely continue well, working. Especially that show, because there was research to be done. So I got to mm. like Google around and yeah. research things and watch this video and listen to this song and think about this scene and, and, and procrastinate for a few days. But I think some of those scenes that I wrote, I don't think I would have been able to do had I not. Had you had four days. No. Yeah. It would have been right. something, but <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah, you'd have been something, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's great. So you taught at the ABC Fellowship. You were a teacher? I did that for three years. I, I basically one year did uh, came in and taught a, like a rewrite workshop, mm-hmm. but then I also listened to everybody's uh, sort of paragraph about their brand, about themselves that they prepare and then try to organically say when they're in a meeting, right? So mm-hmm. they like I'm so and so, and I grew up here, and my you know I was in a cult or whatever. And then uh, the next two years, I, oh, and also in those years, I read all of their scripts and gave them notes. And then the next two years, I read all of their scripts, gave them all notes on their scripts, like basically consults on all the scripts, and then did, a, did like the brand thing with them again. So, yeah. Um, talking about brand, what is that for writers who are just writing their scripts, hoping to at one point send it out to get representation? What is a brand in terms of for a writer specifically? That's a good question. Um, well, branding yourself as a writer is basically thinking of yourself and your writing as a product, right? Just like if you think about, if you think about, I don't know, alcohol, right? If you think about wine, you're going to have the wine that's the $2, two buck check or whatever. You're going to have the $10 range. You're going to have the $20 range. You're going to have the very expensive range. Um, you're also going to have the different flavors, right? So it's like just take, thinking of yourself as a product. Are you the kind of writer who writes um, really dark, twisted uh, thrillers? Are you the writer who writes um, very personal stories that are about, you know, your life and, things like that, your sort of different memoirs each time? Are you the writer who writes political sort of content? Are you the writer who writes, you know, a certain type of comedy? Because there's a difference between writing like rah, 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 like, but on bump comedy versus comedy that comes out of character. I mean, mm-hmm. we've, I've written my brand down before and I'm not going to, because I don't remember it. <laughs> I don't have to pull it out of the hat too much. But, right. but um, I think the thing that, that, that Ali and I would say is we're very character-driven writers. I think when we're hired on something, even if it's the procedural, we're not hired for the, the procedural beats, even though there's some that I think I can do really well, but we're hired for the character work and we're hired for, um, we always say we write with a warm heart and a serrated edge because there's always going to be drama and levity in there and heart and emotion, but there's always going to be a little darkness and a little edge in, in the kind of writing that we do. So it's like, that's sort of who we are. Um, and I say I would say we're genre agnostic. Even though we don't really write sci-fi, we would if it were a character-driven sci-fi rather than a big world-building thing where that's what the whole thing is about. So right. it's just thinking about the kind of writing you do and who you are as a as a writer is, is important. And that's part of that is thinking about you know again if you haven't if you don't have a body of work to compare things to, then you you look at the kinds of writing that you like the kinds of movies and shows that you would want to be on and what are the similarities? So for us, because we do have a body of work, I would say that something we always write about is a thematic thing, which is second chances. Mm. There's always a second chance story in almost every single thing that we do. And then there's other themes too, but that's a big one. So it's always somebody who's 
starting over in some way, I think. Right. So, and, and that's a great way to sort of put it in terms of like, if you're assembling a writing staff and maybe I'm doing a sci-fi hour long drama, but I need a female perspective and I really, this, it's a redemption story, but mm-hmm. it's, it's a dark sci-fi. So it has kind of an edge to it. You're somebody that I would call, right? For something like that. Even though you don't do sci-fi, you have all the other aspects that you're bringing to the the writer's room that's not there. Yeah, it's it's like a puzzle. So it's like about bringing each specific need. They need somebody who can do procedural beats really well. They need somebody who can do, have the levity that we talked about, who's actually a comedy writer, but it'd be good for this drama to bring that tone into it. Or they need somebody who's really great at character writing or somebody who's great at dialogue. Or they might need somebody who's just a good leader in the room. Maybe they're not that strong on the page, mm-hmm. you know, or somebody who's just an excellent pitcher and always have has ideas, or or they do need somebody who's a strong draft writer who they can give stuff to to like do rewrites on. So it's right. all what is that showrunner going to need? And every showrunner needs something different. Right, and honestly, earlier in someone's career has more to do with attitude and and whether they yeah. get along with you and your writing. But yeah, the further along you get, like you said, every, what's your superpower? I hear a lot. Right. Exactly. What do you bring to the table that's different from the other staff that I have already hired? Exactly. And maybe you're really good in post. Maybe exactly. I don't have to, yeah. you know, you can go yeah. and sit in the editing room suite with the editor and cut the episode and I have less to do because you will get it the way I like it. Exactly. You're, yeah. That's, that's okay. a great point too, because it's, I think something that people ask about a lot is like your set time. Have you been on set? Are you good on set? Do you feel comfortable on set? Will you speak up on set? Are you going to be like shy and timid? Because, you know, everyone's different personality wise. So, um, yeah. And I think too, a lot of writers these days don't have the set experience. I've been fortunate, Ali and I both. First of all, Ali, my writing partner is, uh, she has a, a slew of credits from before she became a writer, like previous life. She did visual effects and so she did editing and all that. She's very visual. She's really good at that. I was a former actor. I felt really confident in performances and crafting those and getting out of what I want out of the actor or what we want as a group out of the actor. Um, and we've done a lot of set time because we've just been lucky to be on, be sent to set, whether it was Vancouver or Toronto or wherever. On, on every show we've been on except for one because they didn't send anyone. Um, sometimes a writer won't have any set experience. And then it becomes about needing to take a job where you're going to get the set experience because once you get to the upper level, like you need that because oftentimes it's the co-EPs who get sent to set for the whole time. Like we were on, on uh, Ginny and Georgia. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and speaking about Allie, we were talking about her in the third person. So in talking about Allie in particular, you're obviously right and, and produced with Allie Laventhal, your partner, mm-hmm. who's also been on the podcast. So if you want to listen to Allie's episode or Tanya's previous episode, you can go to scriptsandscribes.com. Um, while I wouldn't encourage writers to find a partner just because they think it's easier, i.e. half the workload or whatever, it makes them more appealing. Uh, I'm sure there are advantages and disadvantages specifically to having a writing partner. Uh, what would you say are the most common of those? The common and the advantages or advantages and or disadvantages like half the pay is a disadvantage right really? although that is changing yeah. i think but you know i hope, so. I yeah. hope so. fighting like asking the guild to fight for that right pay. absolutely the, the common the, that's the that's really the only disadvantage to be honest <laughs> sharing the money right um, because like you know i have to work more i have to work harder <laughs> like i have to work more times like somebody else might be able to do a show one show for 10 10 episodes and be like that's i'm fine for the year Mm-hmm. And we're like, okay, well, what else are we going to do? Right. The advantages are 
humongous though. I mean, you have somebody else in your corner who wants what you want uh, and is rooting for you to succeed as much as you're hoping and rooting for yourself, right? There's nobody else who wants it as much as you do. You have someone to bounce um, everything off, obviously ideas. I mean, it's, we, we develop fast. We can, we can probably accomplish more in a year because there's two of us when it comes to like development. Sometimes um, I'll take a rewrite on something and Ali will be doing, you know, developing something or I'll be developing something and starting something new and she'll be doing that one, you know, the, the, the outline for something, she'll be doing a rewrite pass on that. Like we can trade off sometimes. We both are always a part of everything, but sometimes one person will do a little more heavy lifting. It always balances out. You have somebody to deal with and talk to about what's going on in the room because sometimes it can be like Zoom rooms I, I find very easy. But in a physical room, like sometimes the, the dynamics are different. And so it's nice to have somebody who you can close your door and be like, ah, right? Sometimes right. that happens. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's nothing but like when we work together, it's a two person mini room. I have somebody to vet something with and, and it's fun. And I have to say too, when you're pitching, like Ali and I like, I don't even know how people pitch on their own and talk themselves for 20 or 25 minutes because it's hard enough to go just do it for the time you do it. <laughs> right. Each of us sharing. Right. And you both have a different perspective and different skill sets. So you're sort of a mini room of your own that you bring to the table, which I think is why it's appealing for a lot of people to look for a partner. Yeah. Uh, but they don't realize that just to, that one that's not organic, one that is not formed for the right reasons can also right. be very detrimental. Yeah. It can be detrimental if like, I guess the other detriment, if you don't have the right partner, mm -hmm. you have to really respect each other as writers. Right. Like I trust Allie implicitly. I would never be concerned about a scene that she wrote or a chunk that she wrote ever and vice versa. Every time we always say to each other, like, oh my God, I could never write the scene the way you did. Oh my God, you did a beautiful, I love what you did. Like, I think we're both impressed with each other's writing and, and respect each other as writers so much that, that like, that makes it really easy. If you don't respect the other person, then you're going to end up rewriting them. And that's going to be possibly a problem. And, uh, you're not going to trust them completely. And I think a lot of writers, writers partnerships don't work out because somebody feels like the dynamic isn't right. Like right. the other person that they're working with is maybe not helpful either personality wise in the room or maybe isn't carrying their weight as much. And I've heard people say that like I was doing more in the room or I was doing more on the page or I write most of our stuff. And it's like, we, you know, if you don't feel that balance then it's going to end up being, a problem we always say like it's not a pie there's not equal slices sometimes she's going to do more on something sometimes i'm going to do more sometimes you know one of us has something going on in our lives and the other one has to pick up the slack and and we're, we're good with that we don't tit for tat anything and that's mm -hmm. why it works right and that's the way you should work with most relationships really if you're keeping track of <laughs> you know who does what then you know that there's yes. some some other issues there that Going like, Kevin, if there's a flow chart where like I did these dishes <laughs> right you've got that problems <laughs> right absolutely um so but you guys are both really nice and, and really respectful people in general so you guys are both awesome so I, I can see why it works it's um, it's, a, it's like you know you work with your best friend I see her more than I see my except for in COVID because I'm home all the time right. but I usually see Allie more than I see my husband <laughs> <laughs> um now a lot of writers who are looking to break into television 
are going to have to go through a showrunner meeting to get their first staffing gig. And first, I guess I wanted to ask, how does a writer get that staffing meeting? Obviously, if you have an agent or manager, it becomes easier. Uh, and what goes on in these meetings? And how do writers show themselves in the most positive light? Yeah, because, it, because at that point, it's really less about the writing as it is about making that's that connection. Right. And that. That's exactly it. You're in the room because they read your writing and they mm -hmm. like you. So either your agent has submitted, your manager, possibly even your lawyer, maybe a friend has slipped a script through because they thought you were perfect. And so they've, they've made, they've, they've called a meeting with you because they already like your writing and now they want to see if they like you and they can sit in a room with your personality for five months or eight months or nine months or whatever that's going to be. So for 12, 14 hours a day. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. sometimes longer, <laughs> but, but um, yeah, I mean, if, it, if it's a good situation, then it's not as long as that, but, but um, yeah, they're going to, they're going to want to see who you are as a person and how you vibe with them. Can you also read the room? Like, you know, sometimes you have meetings. I have meetings sometimes when I'm staffing just for my for script anatomy and mm. it's interesting to see how different everybody is. And it's funny cause I enjoy everybody. Like I love everybody's different personalities, but they are all different, right? And sometimes you'll say, oh, well, I'll think to myself, this person is talking a lot. Perhaps it's because they're a little bit nervous, but the concern would be, well, are they really gonna be able to ever listen? Like in a showrunner's meeting, <clears throat> they're gonna be like, can you sit back and listen to other people's ideas? Or are you gonna be talking too much or not respectful or have an attitude? You know, it's all the vibe, but it's also, you should go in there prepared and have read the script multiple times, thought of ideas, um, characters like that you identify with and why. I would know in the back of my mind what wasn't working for me in the script only in case they ask, okay? But usually they won't. If they've written the script and created it, they're probably not gonna ask that question, but I've been up for jobs where the showrunner was not brought back to their own show so they have a new showrunner on and they're not precious about it so they'll be like well, we all know what's working but what isn't working and they want to see if you are, are discerning enough to be able to you know tell like what what's problematic and then what would you do to to fix that to help that so they want to know that you have those kinds of thoughts um so you're you know you you always i always go through a script and i think too not just like what i identify with or who i identify with as a character but i think of my own personal backstory and background and how do, do, do I bring something to that specifically? Like, obviously, uh, you know, if it's like, well, I, if it's a story where like somebody's half anything or half Mexican, like I am, then I have my own unique thing to bring to that kind of story because I am that, or like, I didn't grow up with my biological father or, you know what I mean? I have a very interesting family background. So I would like bring that up if it's helpful to the show. But if it's not, then I probably won't. Mm -hmm. Other than some of the traditional questions that always pop up in meetings like that, where they ask you, what's your superpower? Or what are you watching mm -hmm. recently? What's good recently? Or do you have any ideas for any, any storylines, i.e. characters that are underused, things like that? What are some of the other common questions that you've seen or heard of uh, in showrunner meetings that seem to come up regularly i mean definitely like what character who, which character you do i do i identify with or mm. what do you like about the show or um definitely like have you had set time um 
have, you know, for me, us now, it's like, have you run the room before, you know, which we did. We, we ran the room on Ginny and Georgia. We ran the room occasionally. We were the number twos on Ginny and Georgia, but we ran the room occasionally on um, a million little things and famous in love. So like the one and all of that experience, that's, I know that's for way down the road. I think a lot of it is like background, like tell me about yourself, you know, comes up, especially for younger writers. Um, and the question that I always wonder what to say is when they say, when they ask what questions do you have for me? Mm. I don't know. And, but, but those th- at that time, you know, depending on the vibe in the room, I might, I might ask them like what their process is. Um, I might ask them, I know older writers are like, experience with like how long is the room like what time do you stop because they don't want to be on a show where they're there till 10 o'clock at night or right. two in the morning um i'll ask uh i asked i like i asked the last show i was on i asked like what the process was because he had talked about the process so i was like well I, what, what was it because you know you're saying that it was an interesting process i want to hear about the process or uh yeah i don't know things like that i'm trying to think of like common questions that come up they're all different Sometimes I would say, and I think this is more for like when you're moving up the food chain, the questions become much more specific about the script, you know, especially then it's really, it's, it becomes more of that. But otherwise, as a staff writer, you know, it's, it's doing all those things that I mentioned, which is reading the script multiple times, having ideas ready, having the character that you identify with and why, talking about moments that you loved in the script, talking about um, moments that, or other shows that they've they've written on or, or run that you love. Cause that's always nice. Also, if you're in their office, you know, make a comment on like, Oh my gosh, this is an old, this is dated, but like, Oh my God, you have a bottle of true blood. I love that show. And then you have something to talk about. That's just connecting on a personal level and a commonality level rather than just always talking about yourself or the show. Right. Right. Like yeah, no, absolutely. And we all know that if you're serious about writing for television, you pretty much have to live in Los Angeles uh, in, in, in the vicinity. Uh, but if a writer's just getting started and they're not able to move to LA right now, mm-hmm. but they want to work in TV someday, what are some of the things they can do living outside of Los Angeles to prepare themselves and put them in the best position when they do move out here? Well, it's funny that you say that or, or, or pose that you have to live in LA because typically, yes, you do, but it's interesting because there's a lot of talking going on right now about, do I have to live in LA with writers that are actually working in LA going, maybe I can live somewhere Uh else on zoom because if, you know, we're, we're all wondering if they'll keep zoom rooms. I know a lot of showrunners want to not have zoom rooms because it's a different vibe than being in person. And it's much easier when you can all have everything on the board. And there's, there's a lot of perks and positive aspects of being in the room in person together, but then free lunch. Yeah. Lunch, free lunch. <laughs> right. That's like the highlight. What am I having today? Oh, where are we going? Oh no, right. we're going. Um, but I think one of the perks of zoom is that it's very efficient. It's very focused mm. and there's a little bit more respect because you have to listen to each other more instead of like jumping on each other and interrupting, or you just, you're never going to get anything done. So I really appreciate those kinds of advantages and also like I said not commuting and and wearing my pj bottoms to sure. work with and like nobody knows that um but uh so people are wondering if they'll keep zoom or do half and half only because of the the, the amount of money we imagine is being saved by not having to run offices 
So, but who knows if that's going to be the case. And if it isn't, and we all go back to being in rooms and obviously when you're starting out, I think it's better to be here to, to, to break through. But what you can do is submit to reputable contests such as the Austin, you know, mm -hmm. film festival contest is really great. There are managers and agents and producers who will want to read your script if you're placing a certain level. There's um, the uh, Nickel Fellowship for Features. People will read that and you know see who's placed on those lists. There's many other ones out there. I think you can just Google like reputable contests, um, applying for fellowships, and um, maybe even saying like you'll be willing to move because they want to make sure that you would be because you do have to be here to be in a fellowship. Right. Um, being in writers groups. I know people that are in online writers groups with people from all over the place or people in LA taking classes and bettering yourself as a writer. All those things can help you, you know, stay on your toes and, and do great work. And I've definitely heard of people through a contest or through something like that, breaking in and then back in their bags and moving over, having that first thing that makes them feel like, oh, I, I should move now. Right. I've got some traction. Right. And, and I'd heard rumors of, oh, will writer's room stay uh, Zoom, you know, on Zoom for yeah. the foreseeable future, at least that's probably the case, but in the future, uh, and, uh, and there's, there's, like you said, there's definitely impetus for it and then reasons against as well. But, you know, obviously we have yet to see how that plays out. Yeah. Um, but if a writer could move to LA, again, this is assuming because I had written the question already, but this is assuming uh, everything goes back to normal after COVID, the vaccine, the COVID goes, whatever it happens, you know, in the next year or so, things go back to normal and writers return to the room, yeah. making an assumption here, um, yeah. projecting. So if a, writer, if a writer at that point couldn't move to LA, but say was on the East Coast and maybe could move to New York City, or maybe they're in the South and can move to Atlanta, is that, would that be something they should consider? Or is it really... Again, in the theoretical situation of, of rooms still being in L.A. for the most part, is it really L.A. or bust still? No, I don't. I mean, I don't think it's L.A. or bust. I do think it might be L.A. or New York or bust. Mm -hmm. I, I do. I've had a lot of opportunities where we've been asked, like, would you be willing to move to New York to be on this show? And ultimately, unless it's succession or back in the day when Oof. it was Jackie, I know, right? Yeah. It would have been no, because uh, it, it, for us, just because we, you know, I have a husband here and he's got a boyfriend and we have houses here. For me, I'm more likely to want to go to New York for a job than she is, I would say. But I would drag her kicking and screaming if I had to, if it were succession, right? You can't sure. give succession. No, 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 no. To you. And also my husband's British, so he'd be happy to, for that to happen. Right. But, um, but otherwise, we're not willing to, to pick up and go... Um, usually because of the financials of it, especially when we were coming up the food chain. And then because if it's not a show that is so exciting to us and career changing, then we're not really willing to, to do it. Right. But, right. but there are opportunities and there are writers needed in, in those rooms that are LA based rooms. In fact, the show that we just finished, I don't know. We, we may not have been on the room in the room had it been um, not a zoom room had COVID not happened because I think the room would have been in New York. And oh, wow. Oh, interesting. Now, for those writers out there who say, oh, but there's so many shows shooting in Atlanta. Oh, there's so many shows shooting in Toronto. Why can't I work in those cities as a TV writer? What would you, what, what is the response? 
the response is, at least now, mm-hmm. they're not hiring from those places. You know, they, they're bringing, the, the writer's rooms are in LA or maybe in New York. I'm sure there have been writers' rooms in other places here and there. In fact, I know that, like, I believe the room for Succession was partly in New York and partly in L.A. I don't know for a fact. I've heard that about some other shows, too, where it's part, partly, you know, half and half. But writers' rooms are typically not in Atlanta. They're right. not. Even though they're shooting there. Exactly. They just go there for production for the tax breaks. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right, right, right. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, maybe that will change one day. You know what I mean? You wonder. But it, that has to be because the showrunner wants to live there. I mean, the showrunner usually lives in L.A., maybe New York. Mm. They're typically not living in Atlanta. So they're going to want their rooms to be where their families are, where their homes are, and their friends. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like 30 Rock or The Sopranos, their writer's rooms obviously being in New York because HBO's in New York or because Tina Fey is... A New Yorker by heart and yeah. so yeah but very but usually yeah LA some in New York and that's it I think so. yeah. yeah and mostly and I would say the biggest percentage is, is here in LA for sure. yeah I mean even like all the Chicago you have three franchise Chicago shows yes. Chicago PD Chicago Fire Chicago Met and they're all writers rooms are in LA yeah, yeah. even though I think they do shoot there right? they do they do shoot there for part of the season yeah yeah which is fun I mean it's nice to be able to go somewhere else to shoot I always think but yeah it's also so nice to be here and shoot. We, right. We're on a show that shoots here. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, okay, now I wanted to talk uh, quickly about Script Anatomy, your baby. I know you've been, uh, you founded it, you've been running it, and you have a lot of great instructors. And just to say, this is not a sponsored thing, by the way, for anyone listening or watching this. You and I have known each other for, for years, and uh, I just respect that. What, what you guys do, because all of your teachers are working professionals. They're all working active TV writers. You yourself are successful. Allie teaches there. Uh, I know Holly. Holly does it as well. Um, and, and they're all great. Uh, so with that being said, um, it, it, I wanted to get a little into script anatomy and, and see if we can and, and talk about that. Um, because you're so gracious with your time. So let's plug script anatomy just for a minute. And then we'll, I'll ask you a few more questions. Um, <laughs> So uh, what does script anatomy teach and focus on and how can the listeners and viewers learn more about the the program? Well, so you can learn more about script anatomy by going to www.scriptanatomy.com plug, right? Mm -hmm. We'll put a link below in case they don't (laughs) want to type type the words. (laughs) Um, But, but, um, you know, I, I started the school, uh, it'll be 10 years ago in, April that I taught my first class at my own company and then it grew and it was like I was just planning on maybe I'll teach you know a couple times here and there I thought it would grow to something but I didn't expect it to necessarily be what it is today I wasn't you know I just didn't I didn't really think about it I wasn't a person who was in business and had this huge business plan my business plan was as follows that I wanted to give writers a hands-on applicable process because as I was coming up, there were no teaching, there was no TV teaching, no writing classes for television when I was coming up. I had started in features, and when I had gone to feature classes, it would be very exciting. And, you know, I, I went to uh, Robert McKee, who's, in, who's amazing, and he's got a great book, and he's an amazing performer. I went to that three-day workshop or, or whatever, lecture, and and then I was all amped up and excited, but I was like, well, what do I do? Like, how do I apply it? I, I think everything makes sense, but what do I do now? 
And that was sort of my experience at every place that I had gone to. I learned things, they were valuable lessons and made sense, but I wanted to give people hands-on applicable process. So I created development tools from concept through to development, through to outline, through to script, through rewriting even, so that people would have the tools to build their materials, to build their project, and they would get feedback step-by-step. Step. That was number two. Feedback was important because I really believe that if you're going to a class, you need to be told what is working about your project, what they like, and what is not working, maybe uh, maybe not working in your in your idea, but also conceptually, what are they not understanding about the elements, the fundamentals of television writing? So mm -hmm. that's number two. Number three was that we would have working writers teaching because I wanted everybody to be uh, be able to, I wanted to demystify the process and also have people bring their current, not from 10, 20, 30 years ago, right. experience to the writers and so that they would understand the business side of it too and the sort of functioning of it so that when they get into a room, they are not like, oh my God, I'm freaking out. Like what's gonna happen, right? And the fourth thing that was important to me was that for the school to be successful, in my opinion, it would not be about growing and growing and growing solely, which we have done. It would be about the writers becoming successful. And I think we have unprecedented numbers of successful writers who have done fellowships. In fact, one year alone, we had 12 writers in fellowships across the board. That's, wow. that's huge numbers, that's a huge percentage. And then we have writers, you know, you can see on our uh, alumni page in every kind of show. And they're like really great, wonderful shows and they're selling projects. And so for me, having successful writers meant that what I was doing was working. Otherwise I would pack up and stop because I would feel like a snake oil salesman. And that's, that's the truth. So. Um, so that's the, it's really about helping writers become better writers at their craft. We have a community is very important too. I should say that was number five and these are all in no particular order, but <laughs> the sense of community was really important to me because uh, I didn't have that coming up. I, I wanted to give people what I didn't have, which was the class that I would have wanted to take, the mentorship that I would have wanted to have, and the community I would have wanted to have. I, I have to be honest and say I'm sometimes envious of the community that I built for other people because they they have writers groups. Like some of the very successful writers, like I was mentioning earlier, and many that I haven't, um, they're in writers groups from when they were starting out and they're still in the same writers group and they're mm. supervising producer levels and EP levels and, you know, producer level. And I think that's like really special uh, that they built friends and, and colleagues out of, out of the community. So it's about helping writers develop their craft and hone their craft and getting them to the next level and helping them become professional writers. I don't think we're, in fact, I know we're not like a hobbyist type place if you you know it's too intense mm -hmm. no absolutely and i wanted to also ask since you have so many writers uh come through script anatomy uh through the years i'm sure um and many have gone on to fellowships and series and selling things and staffing and all this and that but starting you know their careers mm -hmm you know, with the help of script anatomy, I wanted to ask, uh, what are some of the things that you see newer writers coming in frequently have issues with, like either in their scripts, in their process, in their skill set, or their mentality? What are some of the issues that you see frequently, again, through the, I don't know, yeah. how many dozens or hundreds of, of writers hundreds that have come through? Yeah, what, what would you say are some of the frequent issues 
I mean, I think we all, so I would say number one would be not having a, a really strong concept, mm-hmm. that concept that's too soft. Like, yes, somebody can write girls or whatever and make that happen. But if everybody's trying to write the next girls or the next like five guys who are friends who are roommates, it's, it's, it's a soft concept. So you're already sort of putting yourself at a disadvantage because people are looking for that next new special thing. Think about the shows that you watch and like, everybody right. out there. And, and what is, what's the unique world of that show? What is, what about it have you not seen before? Because that's what you need to find for yourself. Uh, so that, and I would say a big one over and over would be not having uh, a strong active character. Really, it doesn't have to be a strong character because the character might not be a strong person. So I don't want to use that term, but an active character who is pursuing their goal with a vengeance, meaning that a lot of times I see scripts or we all do as instructors see scripts where the writer's written something that the character's just kind of bouncing around and things are happening to them. So they're not really actively pursuing a goal. And we, we, we watch characters because we want to root for them and we want them to get what they want. Oh my God, against all odds and all these terrible things are happening and getting in their way. And how are they going to get around it? And it's so satisfying when they finally do. So that's, I think a weakness in scripts where they're not no active goal. And then in order for that to work, you also have to have, very strong stakes and obstacles like stakes means what's going to happen if they don't get it right right what's going to happen if this terrible thing happens oh shit it just raises the stakes um, i've been really good i only asked my first curse word i think this time and I'm, usually, <laughs> I'm usually like f-bomb all the way through so um stakes and uh but but to, to pursue a goal again you have to have a, a formidable opponent that you're pursuing those that your goal against and who's putting obstacles in front of you having to make you work harder so it's all these elements that work together but i would say those are some of the biggest obviously things that you see um maybe right off the bat and then uh attitude is oh i feel like we in general i would say 99 percent of our people or more even more than that are like good people who are really earnestly trying to to better themselves and break into the business and they get it like mm-hmm. all around just get it i'm always shocked when somebody has an attitude and i'm thinking do you do realize in my mind i think you do realize that this is a small town and you've just pissed off like me and your instructor and 10 people in the room with you or whatever, 12 right. people in the room. Like, you know, it's a chance to, to, to act professionally. Like, right. If you are, um, if, if you're in this environment and I, I, we tell our writers this, like we expect you to behave professionally, whether it's turning in work on time for the deadlines, whether it's the way you treat your other writers, if reading each other's materials, because if you're on a show and the showrunner says, okay, everybody read the script tonight and give notes by tomorrow, then you better have that done. So it's always interesting when people are selfish and they, they don't read their colleagues' works or their fellow students' works and, and give them notes. You also, you're helping that person doing good, but you're also learning for yourself you know, by reading someone else's work, what they're doing right, what they're doing that's not working. You have distance from their material in the way that you don't for your own. And that's why it's even more helpful. Right. Absolutely. Um, 
But lastly, we're getting we're headed toward that hour mark, so uh, we're going to have to wrap it up. Uh, but are you going to stick around? Be able to stick around for about fifteen yeah, twenty minutes yeah, for the unscripted yeah. after show? Okay. Yeah, cool. I might have to ask you a technical thing before we begin. But yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. great. <laughs> um, but lastly, uh, for the episode, what is one bit of life advice that's been pa- life advice mm. that's been passed to you that you've found exceptionally helpful? Well. So much of my life is my career in, in the business and, you know, script anatomy too. Um, but I would say this really has to do with, with life in general, but also, yeah, I think it's life in general and, and the business would be that my husband said this to me when I was very upset over the kind of petty things that we all get upset about. I was mm-hmm. a younger writer and you see, you're going to see people bypass you. You're going to see people do better than you. You're going to see people sell something that you maybe think isn't that great and you didn't sell your project or whatever. They're in a hot show and you're not. So uh, he said, whatever's happening in your career right now is not indicative of where you're going to be, of where you're going. And I thought that is really true. And I, and I, and I always remember that. I think that's important. And, and if I can give two pieces of advice, I'll do that. Yeah. So the, the other thing was um don't sweat the small stuff. And it really goes hand in hand with the first one because I remember working with a feature producer and Ali and I were getting sort of, you know, annoyed and up in arms about something. And I, I don't even remember what it was at the time. It was years and years and years ago. And she said, um, don't sweat the small stuff because there's always going to be something in this business. There's always going to be something that didn't work out your way. Somebody else who got this, you know, this person got an overall, you know, like it's be like, this person got in a hot show. So you want to be on a hotter show too. And now you're on that hotter show, but then you want your overall deal and then you get your overall deal, but it's not enough money because this person got more on their overall deal. And then you want, you get the, the money on the overall deal and then you don't even want to be in the overall deal because it's limiting. And then, you know, it, it, you want this. It's, it's, it's really true. There's always something. And we, it's, I've, I've really very much tried to focus on the last handful of years, but I think especially in the last few, just, this is my path. This is my journey. I'm doing what I'm doing, what I want to do. I have other things going on, like, like the business, like my personal life, like other, other uh, enterprises I'm doing. And, and it's my path and nobody else's. And I think it's re- important for everybody to remember to just try as hard as you can to put those like horse blinders on right. and like move forward and enjoy your ups and downs because there's no there's no yeses. There's no successes without rejection and, and negatives, you know, it's just there's right. that happens. So embrace that and then try to like, just be on your own path and not compare yourself, which is really difficult, but you're, you'll be happier for it because you can't control it anyway. Right. It's all perspective. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I remember a scene in swingers where it's near the end of the film and they're at a golf course and it's John Favreau and Ron Livingston. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, uh, it's probably, I don't know if you've ever seen it or if you have, yeah, it's probably yeah. a long time ago where John Favreau is depressed and he's down in the dumps. Um, he, he found, he met a girl, but he kept calling her incessantly and now she doesn't want to yes. talk to him and all this other stuff. So he's down in the dumps and they're playing golf and Ron Livingston's trying to cheer him up. And he's like, you know, I don't know what you're so mad about. I came to LA because of you to be an actor, just because of you. And he's like, you have an agent. And he's like, and that's what Ron Livington says to 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 uh, John Favreau. You have an agent. I came here because I wanted to be like you. And Favreau's like, my agent represents clowns, party <laughs> clowns, right? So he's like, I haven't done anything. 
and and uh, then Ron Livingston was said, uh, uh, but you at least have an agent. I don't even have that. Yeah. And Ron Livingston, and then uh, he says, uh, I auditioned for Goofy at Disneyland, and I didn't get it. <laughs> so you know, so basically, it's all perspective. You know what yeah. you have. It's true that you don't appreciate somebody else might wish that they had that. So, yeah. you know, I had a manager too that had said that as well. Who was like, exactly what you're saying, Kevin, which is that there are people who look at your career and think like, Oh my God, she's got this. She's got mm -hmm. that. Cause I'm like, really? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. But, but of course there, there probably are. I mean, sometimes they don't know the baggage that came with that. Sure. Song, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And nothing is perfect in life. You know, we all have, you know, ups and downs. We all have problems. And yeah. uh, they don't see that part of it. They just see, oh, she's, you know, a TV writer, producer, successful, and this and that. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, being in that position, at least at least you can look at your career and, and in, a, in a light from somebody else's perspective and that you're super successful. And that's awesome. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I, it's always like humbling when somebody else thinks that because I don't I know I know I know that I have success and and that I am to other people but I don't I don't necessarily feel that way you know what I because mean because you live it so you don't you see all the the headaches that come with it and the problems that come with it and then those above you you know the Shonda Rhimes of the world and stuff and you're thinking why am I why am I not am I not right but yet all the people below yeah. Or thinking, wow, she's super successful. I wish I could be like her, you know, obviously, you know, so yeah. it's all perspective. Yeah, we it's all, all perspective. Again, we all have that next level to get mm -hmm. to. But I think that's what makes it interesting and exciting. And, and I think that striving for something keeps you vibrant and alive. Sure. So Absolutely. It's actually a good thing. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for coming back on the show, Tanya. Thanks for having me. I appreciate me. it. And thank you for sticking around for the Unscripted After Show, which if you want to listen to it, it'll be on patreon.com slash scripts and scribes. Um, and you can follow Tanya on Twitter, and it's at T Bhattacharya. That's T-B-H-A-T-T-A-C-H-A-R-Y-A. -T -T -A -A. Uh, and Script Anatomy, right? At Script Anatomy mm -hmm. on Twitter. Uh, and it's at scriptanatomy.com. Is that the site? Yeah, if you want to learn more about script anatomy classes. Um, and if you have questions about the craft or business of writing, you can send us an email to ask at scriptsandscribes.com or send us a tweet to at scriptscribes. There's no and in the middle there. It's just at scriptscribes for whatever reason. Couldn't fit that in there. Um, so thank you all for listening and thank you, Tanya. And we'll talk to you in just another minute or so. Awesome. Thank you, everybody. Keep writing. And stay safe out there. <laughs>